You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Megan. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm well. Good. Uh, glad to have you with us. Let me introduce us. I'm Robert Wright, uh, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter on the Substack platform. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. And you are Megan Dom or Megan Dom, as the case may be. We'll discuss that. And you are founder and CEO of what I call the Megan Industrial Complex. Oh. Which which consists of no less than, first of all, two podcasts, right? So the unspeakable longstanding podcast, a newer podcast uh, that's co-hosted called The Special Place in Hell. And, And this is the thing that intrigues me. The third leg of the of the complex, uh, this thing called the unspeakeasy, which, so far as I can tell, correct me if I've got this wrong, is is a cult for anti woke women. Is that fair? Oh, no, you think I'm going Uh, too far? It's more of a church. It's more. It's more like a okay, but a house of worship. Yeah, and the house of worship of me, of yours truly. Yeah, worship. Uh, Yeah. Um. It's a community. It's a, okay. Everything's a community now, Bob. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have retreats, right? There are, there yeah, are we uns- have. Women yes. can sign up for them, but not men. Can men not sign up for them? Is that they can't sign up for the retreats? Although I'm building, uh, I'm building it out because uh, I want to grow and we want to have offerings. We have co-ed offerings, mm-hmm. as they say. But yeah, no. Right now we have retreats for women. We have an online community which is amazing. And there's a lot going on in the online community. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I can tell you all about it. But it's very interesting that you say there's three legs of the... Did I miss a leg? I mean, it's growing no, so fast, I, feel like I there's hesitate a feel, it's like, to characterize um, it's, it. It's a centipede. There's so This is the problem with the creator economy. There's too many things. You got to feed the beast. I mean, I have. I am a writer. I, do we I remember that? I mean, I have to remind myself. Right. Every, yes, I actually am a writer, and I do write stuff on occasion, and I'll put it on my Substack. And uh, wait, what, what is else? the Substack? What is the Substack called? Is that called the Unspeakable? Megan, it's called. Well, it's at megandom.substack.com, and that's where you can be the. That's where you can support the Unspeakable podcast. Mm-hmm. So all, yeah, all of my stuff, as they say in the business world, the single source of truth is on the Substack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I, makes... if I write stuff, I put it there. I also teach, I teach writing oh, um, a lot, actually. So that's another leg. And what else? Um, so wait, you just teach, you have, just have your own classes. People like yeah. email you at the newsletter or something and you say, never end a sentence with a preposition or whatever, and they send you money. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm like a walking Grammarly. Mm-hmm. I'm like a Grammarly if you want to pay a little more. Better hurry. The AI is, is whatever you're doing, the AI is catching up with you. I know. Uh, no, I teach writing classes. I teach nonfiction narrative uh, writing. So mm-hmm. I, I do it. I used to do them in my apartment. I mean, and actually this is what led me to the unspeakeasy. But um, I mean, if I can tell you more about that in a minute. But yes, I'm just trying to think of all the things I do. So uh, two podcasts, writing, teach writing. I do that on Zoom generally. And yeah, they come. I have a lot of repeat students and people have taken the class many times and they do go, they get published actually. It it, it actually works. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if if they only get published in your newsletter, that's cheating. You realize that, right? No, they get published in real places. Not that your newsletter isn't a real place. It's not, it isn't a real place. It's not a newsletter. You know, that's the thing is I I think that uh, I don't have the bandwidth 
to write a newsletter every day. You know, I was a I was a columnist. I was a newspaper columnist for like 12 years. For the Los Angeles Times, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was a, I had to have an opinion every week. And um, I'm convinced that a lot of our sort of cultural discourse problems would go away if you didn't have so many people who were forced to come up with an opinion on on a regular schedule. For a while, nothing worse. Didn't you formally swear off of takes, of having takes? How did that work out? Well, I haven't really had a take. I mean, I I will verbally have a take. Uh I'm not going to write them down. I don't know what it is. I mean, do you find this? I just, I find it almost like physically excruciating to write certain kinds of things. Like the show notes for my podcast, like, it's like painful. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, So I don't know what that is. No, I know that takes, I'm, uh, I feel less driven to have them as I get older, but I think that's just a sign of age. It's like there's this part of your life where you want to show off on Twitter and then this part where you don't give a shit. I'm in that part. Oh, you They're think not, it's age? I think well, no, I'm just speaking. Uh, no, I because I, I think everything is age. That's so interesting because I, there are people I, I watch and, you know, they're like in their 30s or maybe early 40s. And I just see them and they're just on fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, really good ones, like people mm-hmm. really at the peak you know, they're just cranking it out and they're doing so in a really thoughtful yeah. way. And I think, oh, I remember when I was kind of like that. Yeah. And I just either don't have the the interest or the energy to do it anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm older. This probably doesn't apply to you. Don't worry. You're fine. Um, mm-hmm. Here's what here's one thing. This woke thing I brought up. I want to I want to spend some time on the woke thing in this conversation, because I mean. You have views on wokeness, right? It's uh, yeah. I don't like I, to use that word, but we can't think of a okay, better one. So yeah. Uh, well, we we can search for one if you want, but <laughs> okay. I do want to um, I do want to explore your uh, not entirely favorable attitude toward the phenomenon that goes under the name wokeness, um, which will maybe uh, will involve retracing uh, some of your career. You, you've had a journey uh, toward toward being CEO of the Megan Industrial Complex, mm. which is mm-hmm. not not entirely mm. favorably disposed toward wokeness. We have merch also. Merch. Wait, that says problematic. Problem, problematic. problematic. Is that another of your brands? Yes, I have two uh, merch items. You're familiar with th- this item. Nuance, the, the nuance AF, is, I always thought AF was a good, a good yeah. you came up with that, right? Yes. Yeah, You're like a genius. I want to take I guidance from you. How you much does class. it cost? Well, I, I, frankly, I already think my writing's not all that bad. But do you give classes in like how to start an industrial complex? How do I like, should? You should. I should. No, it's hilarious that I do this. I mean, mm-hmm. all, we've all become merch sellers now. But yeah, I have the nuanced AF merch, and I also the Unspeakeasy has its own merch mm-hmm. line. Problematic. So, you know, yeah. it's funny uh, in the non-zero newsletter it goes out on Friday, which is the day this is going to air. We are going to unveil our non-zero merch. It's funny you should say this. So we're, as soon we're as Mickey leaves, you. you get merch? Well, Mickey was always funny. We should talk about me. Let me finish laying out Sorry, what yes. I hope will be Sorry. the scope of this conversation. I want to talk about the wokeness thing. I want to, there's a kind of connection to some recent events. I've been I've been listening to your podcast, both of them. Um, and there's a couple of things. There's a whole TED Talk controversy. Uh, has TED been overtaken by wokeness? There's the, um, the, the, Israel Hamas thing actually uh 
you said, if I've got you right on your podcast, that you think the way the some of the left has reacted to the um, Israel Hamas thing, uh, you know, especially this kind of infamous letter at Harvard and so on that some people may be familiar with, uh, could spell the end of wokeness. I, I think you said something like the last gasp of wokeness. Uh, people can check me if they if they doubt that. Or something you, like that. Something I, like yeah, that I, on your in your special place in hell podcast. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that and the whole way. Um, I mean, there has been this intersection of of, of wokeness and anti wokeness with that issue. Um, and then finally, not totally unrelatedly, uh, I want to ask you whether. There aren't some people in the kind of generally anti-woke uh, community who are not as consistently principled as they might have it. Um, I'm not going to name names. With That's a the, nice way of putting it. I'm not going to name names with the possible exception of Barry Weiss. Uh, but wh- whether uh, they're really consistent in their opposition to the suppression, uh, the kind of informal suppression of speech, and whether they don't, in fact, participate in the informal suppression of speech when it's speech that they are ideologically opposed to. But who okay. knows whether, I think we'll get to that, but okay. we have a long journey ahead. Uh, yes. But but let's get back to Mickey, because you were, you know, in the entire history of the Parrot Room, which went on for, ah, since early 2020, somebody else could do the math. Uh, we started as a pandemic thing. Um, I mean, it was both a public podcast uh, on Fridays, and then there was the Parrot Room in Patreon, uh, the paywall thing. You and then Mickey uh, had to go do important things, and so this is sadly uh, come to an end. Although he'll he'll show up every once in a while, but um, we only had two guests in the Parrot Room, uh, Mickey and I, in the entire history of it. There was one week he was gone, and I had two old friends from my newspaper days. But you were one of the two guests. I mean, how honored. Oh. I, I'm totally honored. I had no idea. Are you honored and humbled or just honored? Um, I am. Uh, well, I'm always humbled. Okay. I'm uh, I'm I'm stunned and humbled. It's a, it's it's quite a tribute. I, yeah, I have to I'm say. I'm honored and stunned. Yeah, I don't remember what we talked about even, but I'm sure. I would guess that wokeness came up. Um. Anyway, we pay tribute to Mickey. Um, <laughs> that that makes it sound like he's dead. I was supposed to have coffee with him yesterday, but uh, he didn't show. Well, then maybe he is. Oh, he's sick. Well, Mm -hmm. see, I'm not keeping up with him as well as I I mean, I don't want to tell tales out of school. No, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so woke, uh, what what is the phenomenon that you don't think woke is quite the right word for? Well, I mean, I woke has been culturally appropriated from the civil rights movement. I mean, how far back do you want to go? I don't like woke because it's used by this sort of reactionary uh, corner of the kind of kind of right right wing or sort of alt right alt right adjacent. It's a it's a sort it's a shorthand for making fun of what we used to call PC. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, to me, look, I like the, it's a great word because it rolls up the tongue nicely. It's got nice consonant sound. It rhymes with stuff. Like it's a great word in and of itself, but I don't like um, the way it's used in a sort of glib way by um, sort of 
you know, Matt Walsh crowd. Uh, and so I try not to use it. It's hard to avoid it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, look, let's just, um, th- there are so many layers of this. I mean, this has to do with this, the way that um, kind of decolonization, intersectional uh, ideology has infiltrated every corner of the culture and every aspect, not only of the academia, but just kind of media and thought itself. And in some way, you know, that started off as a good idea. I think I I don't I'm not of the belief that this was some kind of conspiracy. Um, uh, I think that this a lot of stuff happened at once and you end up with a whole bunch of people who have some very contorted ideas about justice um, and sort of apply it in this kind of meme based uh, performative way. And I guess that would, and, and often, and there's a lot of bullying and silencing and what we are now calling cancel culture going along with that. So that to me is the sort of woke umbrella. Mm-hmm. So the idea of justice, the, the warping of the idea of justice has to do with um, kind of uh, the role of ethnic identity and gender identity and so on, you know, as the prism through which issues of justice are mediated or what? Yeah, it's the inverted uh, hierarchy, right? So the idea being that whoever, everything is about power. And so if you are white, you are automatically in power. If you are male, you automatically have power. So Mm -hmm. every, everything is viewed through the lens of who has power and who doesn't. And it stops there. Um, and that is, I mean, that's obviously what we're seeing now with the, the, you know, the free Palestine crowd not able to separate their cause with Hamas. Um, it's, uh, and, you know, it is, Israel is seen as the white oppressor just by virtue of being white. Um, there's, a, there's like a total lack of nuance. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why my motto is nuance day up. I think that people got really started to get really sick of that um, several years ago, but it it prevails. I mean, I'm not sure how pervasively what you call the free Palestine crowd is connected to uh, the crowd that either applauded or failed to condemn the atrocities perpetrated by Hamas. And maybe one way of getting at that is, like you said, with wokeness, it's all about power. Well, with the traditional left, it's all about power, but that's a class-based view of the situation where kind of lower class uh, transcends, in a way, ethnic and gender. It's it's inclusive of all people who, in the traditional leftist view, lower class is the oppressed class, by which they mm-hmm. mainly mean lower economic class. Right. And it will include some white people and some men and some women and some gay people uh, uh, and 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 some black people, and but not uh, not all of the above, and so and and that's so that's and I think, hey, power is important. <laughs> it's, that's why they call it power. But um, you see, yeah, no, that's the old leftism. That's right? Old does leftism. that does that not? No, I think does that bother you less? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, it makes more sense. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I under I understand the the logic of it. But unfortunately, this has been misapplied. I think, you know, and it's funny because even if 
I, I really, I know it's hard for people to believe, but I really have resisted the temptation to think, like, say, like, all of the college students are like this. All of the media is like this. Everyone has been captured. This is terrible. The institutions are, you know, rotting from the inside. I've tried not to be hyperbolic about it. Um, and I've also, up until recently, said things like this is mostly a phenomenon of elite you know institutions and humanities departments specifically i have to say that i don't i can't say that anymore i i hear from more people in engineering departments of state schools saying that they can't even get the curriculum mm -hmm. like passed because of all these bizarre uh strictures and hurdles to jump over and it's really shocking and strange mm -hmm. the um so you've reached the point where you are saying all the things you tried not to say for so long. i mean i'm i have reached the point although it's funny because my podcast partner sarah hater so we do this podcast called the special place in hell which is named after madeline albright's quote and it's special... it's not h-a-t-e-r we should say how it's what h-a-i-d h-a-i sarah hater h-a-i-d-e-r yeah mm -hmm. um so uh yeah so sarah is um she's was born in pakistan she was an immigrant uh she uh is was very active and prominent in the new atheist community she's very young she's like a wunderkind um, she started something called Ex-Muslims of North America. Anyway, we can talk about her in a second. But uh, yeah, we have this podcast called A Special Place in Hell, named after the Madeleine Albright quote. There's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Uh, so, you know, we originally started, we've talked a lot about Me Too and, uh, you know, these kinds of issues. And by um, the way, but, is that is that ironic, the reference to that Madeleine Albright quote? Because I would think what she said is kind of a woke thing to say, right? Yeah, I no, mean, uh, well, it's a very silly thing to say because it's sort of, again, it's one of these things that assumes that all women are, are morally, mm -hmm. um, you know, okay. by virtue of being a woman, that you are morally superior and, and virtuous. So, um, no, but we, you know, Sarah really is a catastrophist about this. Like, she really thinks that there's no going back, that the institutions are over, um, they're, that, you know, any kind of university education is just effectively has no value. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I don't think I'm I don't think I'm exaggerating. And I'm always the one who's saying that's not true. It, it wasn't that long ago that that, you know, enlightenment values were absolute baseline and what everybody sort of agreed upon. Um, I think that this will correct. I I 75 percent think that. Um, but well, it I would take much I mean, not far be it for me to uh, far be it for me to correct your interpretation, your interpretation of your own views. But <laughs> in some of your podcasts, it sounds like you're even more optimistic than that. It's like we've turned the corner, not just that this will ultimately resolve itself. I mean, the most dramatic is that thing where you said this is the last gasp of wokeism. Yeah, yeah, I said that the now, other maybe day. that was in the heat of the moment. That I was don't like know. 48 hours ago. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So things change. Um, Look, I think this past the past two weeks. So we're we're October nineteenth now. The attacks in Israel happened on the seventh. It feels to me like an inflection point. It seems like a lot of liberals who either weren't paying attention or just were dismissing the campus craziness as anomalous 
um, and something that like just people on podcasts were getting hysterical about. I don't see how they can turn away now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I- I'm shocked. I mean, the the level of anti-Semitism has frankly shocked me, and what, I was naive. What, what is the evidence that it's actually widespread? Among, I mean, let me read you uh, a tweet I just read from Michael Shermer, who's, you know, uh, I think he was officially part of the intellectual uh, dark web. I, I I know him. He's been on my podcast. He was part of the, wasn't he? He was one of the, was he one of the horsemen of the atheist apocalypse or something? Maybe not. No, he yeah. was not quite, but he was very friendly with him. Yeah. Uh, not one of the four horsemen of the, of the yeah. Uh, but uh, the, um, so he, uh, he, he founded uh, this magazine, The Skeptic. Uh, yeah, he's been on my podcast. To debunk things, yeah. Um, his he tweeted, "Let current events be a wake-up call to liberals that many progressive leftists are not only a liberal but are Jew-hating anti-Semites whose identity politics leads them to embrace murder, torture, rape, and violence in the name of ignoble ideological causes denounced in public." I'm wondering, like, how many people can we confidently say that about? And one reason I say that is because. I've seen people like on Twitter post signs of people marching under Palestinian flags and then inferring that they like support Hamas or something. And and like, well, you know, Hamas is like, you know, bitter rivals, Fatah in the West Bank. They march under Palestinian flag. They want Palestinians to have the vote. They want Palestinians to have due process of law and basic fundamental rights that they don't have. And and, and, and it just seems to me uh I'm sure you you could find cases where woke people seem to you to be guilty of overgeneralizing. And I, I think it's almost the plague of our time, overgeneralizing generally about what groups of people feel. So, I mean, we can talk about the Harvard letter if you want, but like what, how much evidence do we have that large numbers of people are literally like anti-Semitic and yeah. what do they say, Jew-hating anti-Semites? I mean, who who are we talking about here? Well, that's a good question. I guess we have to start by asking, like, are who are these people and are they able to separate Palestine, the people of Gaza and Palestine, the Palestine cause from Hamas, which is a death cult and yelling, you know, shouting, you know, from the river to the sea. I, my understanding is that that's always been associated with extermination of jews am i am i wrong i may be this is not my wheelhouse at all i actually i was thinking i apparently need to research the historical origins of that term because i would assume that at least some people uh you know there is broadly an important part of the context is people have given up on the two-state solution i think appropriately not going to happen and uh we could get into why but not going to happen and so now people talk about a one-state solution that they would say could begin with uh, Israel giving the vote to people who uh, currently it does rule but doesn't allow to vote because of their ethnicity. That is to say, at least West Bank uh, Palestinians. Um, and 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 then the idea is uh, it would that then it would be a unified political entity. Just make it a unified political entity from the river to the sea. Let everybody vote. That that is one intelligible rendering of the phrase uh, from the river to the sea. But you may be right. I really don't know with the historic. But I would bet that a lot of people who some people use the term and are accused because of that of being anti-Semites also don't know 
what the historical resonance is, uh, and maybe using it the way I said, which is that they want they want to they want what's called a one state solution. Everybody gets political rights. But I I don't know. I, I again I haven't done the research. I think the, uh, the fact that the image of the paraglider descending into a crowd of people, and we know what happened. The idea that that well, but wait, 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 wait. I have to say, it's far from the case that everyone who has used the phrase from the river to the sea has had that, has used that. I'm mean, talking right? about this is a different example. The, the Actually, Black I think, Lives I, think I think this sure. is a better example. Yeah, for the yeah, river okay. to the sea. Let's put that aside for a second. Here's here's this is okay. a better example. I mean, so Black Lives Matter, BLM Chicago, to be clear, they tweeted. Uh, an image of what has now become, this has now become inscribed. Like yeah. the, the image of the, the para, were they paraglide? What are, are we calling them paragliders? They had like motorized bicycles, whatever it is, this parachute coming in. I mean, it's a haunting, horrific image. And it has now been co-opted. It's the, it's the Che Guevara t-shirt of the moment. And I think that the majority of people who are, who are using that have no idea of the of the implications. I mean, I think you might be right, like in terms of the mat in terms of like the masses in the West, are they anti are they anti-Semitic? I don't I don't think so. Not people who I mean, depending on who we're talking about and where. But the problem to me is that you've got these generations of people now, young people, and probably anybody under 35 who I'm not exaggerating, have grown up and been educated under this kind of pedagogy that is completely rooted in this intersectional theory. And I know I sound like like some kind of like, you know, Chris Rufo hysteric. And I want to be really careful about the way we talk about this. But the more and more I see it, it is absolutely true. Yeah. OK, but I mean, I'd say a couple of things. Uh, so this. One chapter of BLM did this uh, thing that I think was a really bad idea. Uh, I have mainly seen it, uh, not brandished by people who support it, but by people who are pointing out that this one chapter of BLM put it out there. No, so I've seen I, it a lot. I've seen it. Mm. But people proudly saying this this represents my views. Because like, I don't think they don't know. I mean, I think I think they yeah. think it's like a nice a nice picture. Yeah, like it is kind of like artful it has i mean it has it's like a nice drawing mm -hmm. um i think it's very useful as a symbol it it could be so anyway i mean i have one question about how widespread i mean you know the harvard letter uh which uh i i just glanced at it but starting off by saying israel is solely responsible is not my idea of a good way to start a letter about what happened but anyway um uh so so this was an extreme or extremist letter or whatever. Um, it was put out uh, under the letterhead of several groups. And then some of the people in some of the groups said, I didn't know about this. Some of the groups actually took their names off of it. Um, so, I mean, there's that. There's the BLM Chicago meme. I'm awaiting the evidence that, uh, you know, anti-Semitism per se is this widespread thing in, on the left. I don't know. But but the main thing I want to uh, I want to uh, ask is. Uh, you're connecting the intersectionality to uh, support for Palestinian liberation. And I just want to say there's a whole separate basis of support for it in America on the traditional left, which is not intersectionalist. 
some some of whose uh, prominent people like Glenn Greenwald seem to be pretty anti-woke, right? Yeah. And and a very anti-cancel culture. Uh, I think he would agree with you on a lot of things. He's traditionally been very what is being called pro-Palestinian. I think I'm pro-Palestinian. They're being denied basic rights and they shouldn't be. And I admit it's a nettlesome problem. And I understand why people in Israel uh, are, even before this last thing happened, uh, didn't feel it was an easy problem to solve, uh, especially like in the I wake of the second intifada. I, I, mean, I, I understand all that. I understand yeah. all that. But I am pro-Palestinian and pro, uh, and and I support them gaining their freedom, which which on the West Bank they don't have, and uh, and and there's a different sense in which they don't have it in Gaza. But I just want to say like. And, and and I guess I'm a third kind of thing because I'm not that far left. But anyway, to to act as if the only way you get to a view that's supportive of Palestinian uh, aspirations is to be some kind of intersectionalist woke maniac, I just think is is not factually um, correct. I, I think it's true that the, the modern left, much more than the old left, uh, does have the 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 wokest whatever you want to call it element so there's there's more of the intersection of that uh with i don't know pro-palestinian whatever you want to call it um but it, it's far from inherent and that's i guess why i wonder you're you're far from the only one who's saying kind of okay now the woke have gone too far or something i mean i guess it's an interesting question i mean maybe you're right that uh the people, the subset of the kind of pro-Palestinian people who are being so uh, seemingly heartless and reckless in their language do tend to be woke. That's an interesting empirical question. But I still I still argue against conflating support for the Palestinian cause with wokeism or with anti-Semitism or with various other things in that. Right. Mix. But the problem is that the demonstrations that we're seeing are people who are conflating support for the Palestinian cause with support for terrorist organization. They're not able to separate it out for some reason. And I don't think why, that's true. What I, about the, the Jewish groups that were occupying the, the capital? It's still, well, but weren't the, but those were Jewish groups. Those were also, I thought those were pro-Palestinian groups. In well, the they capital were. the other that, day. That's my point. That's oh. my point. But I mean, the we, but do you see the magnitude of the demonstrations in major cities? I mean, in New York City, in Washington Square, you've got people yelling anti-actual anti-Semitic chants are happening in New York City. And I think it is young people. My guess, it is young people who really don't have any idea what they're saying. They have grown up under a framework that is telling them that the people who are in power and people who are white and mm -hmm. is Israelis are powerful and white as far as we're concerned now it wasn't too long ago when Jews were not considered white as far as they're concerned it's white powerful people bad and brown less powerful people good under any circumstances it's been so oversimplified and that's what I think everyone's objecting to it's also it has been two weeks and I mean absolutely horrific atrocities and mm -hmm. they can't take five minutes at, before they erupt into this, it's astonishing to see. Well, I mean, again, the the people who said the you know the 
highly ill-advised things, uh, you know, right out of the gate. I, I'm not I, I'm not defending them at all. I'm asking uh, how large uh, a portion of this they represent. And I'd say a similar thing about, uh, you know, the marches. I mean, again, to act as if marches featuring Palestinian flags are inherently anti-Semitic, I'm, I'm sorry, just illustrates a really profound lack of understanding of the whole history of this thing, I think. But I would also say that I don't doubt that you can get footage from some of these marches of people saying uh, uh, or even beginning to chant anti-Semitic things. But I would say, I mean, let me back up and say that I, I think Don uh, uh, about the way I've reacted to the whole Trump thing, because it's related. I few people surpass me in, in, in their loathing of Donald Trump. But from the beginning, I have argued against the way the resistance would take, you know, some racist thing said by some Trumpist and say, so all of them are racist and all of them mm -hmm. are. And I oppose this kind of thing generally. And now I'm opposing it in this context. And and uh, again, I, I haven't done all the research. Maybe I'm uh, naive and there's a lot more. Um, there's a lot more anti-Semitism in the movement than I realize. Um, but uh, it, it, the the speed with which people are inferring that support for Palestine is anti-Semitic uh, kind of, uh, I, I find um, disconcerting. I'd say just before I let you talk, I want to say one more thing about like when you say the speed, can't we have kind of a, a decent interval? There are people, and this is what motivated the, uh, I think, uh, mainly Jewish groups. There were a number of rabbis uh, sitting in, in the Capitol uh, who um, is that, you know, time, they feel time is of the essence. Israel is mounting a massively lethal retaliation, uh, the death toll of which is already uh, far exceeded, apparently, um, what was, you know, again, horrifically visited upon Israel. Um, and, and they're worried that, well, by Israel's own account, this is just the beginning. And they feel that Israel is, uh, you know, in, 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 in systematically, although this, some of this has been, uh, I guess, altered under American uh, intervention or something, systematically denying, you know, water, food, electricity, or shutting off their supply of it to 2 million uh, Palestinians uh, who didn't plan the attack or participate in it. Um, uh, and, and, and these people worry that this thing is getting out of hand and it could lead to regional war and is well, unjust in any event. That's, what? That train has left the station. That's inevitable at this point. Yeah. What, regional war? Well, yeah, I'm, I would I'm, say so. Okay. I'm, well, anyway, I'm, sorry. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure, but my point is, they're like, I'm sorry, we can't keep quiet about what we consider an unjustified and unwise Israeli response to this. Okay, that's their view. It could be wrong, but if you ask, well, can't you respect like a one-month period of mourning or something? Their answer is, I think, logically enough, no. This thing is getting out of hand, and uh, and it'll get more out of hand if we all enforce some kind of uh, deference to whatever Bibi Netanyahu says because it's considered impolite to do otherwise. Okay, well, if that is their message and they are as coherent and detailed as how you just put it, I think that's one thing. The, the, the problem is that we have college presidents who 
are making either no statement or mealy mouth weasel worded statements. We have leaders of major institutions saying nothing. We have people like AOC saying whatever nonsense she's saying. To your example about the, you know, the the crazy trumper, the crazy trumper who says something racist and the left blows it out of proportion. I think often the left did blow that out of proportion, but the difference is that's one rando. We're talking about Harvard. That's not the same thing. The, the problem is, is that the, the what wherever we're calling woke, that has won the day. The left won the culture war. And so whatever this is, is setting the tone. I and mean, that's the difference. Well, but when you've got whole groups taking their names off of the letter at Harvard, and and you yourself, again, seem to think that this has been some kind of like, the woke, they've kind of overplayed their hand and this is going to be bad for them. I mean, uh, I'm I'm not sure of that. I mean, again, uh, you know, it just I, I, I'm just against overgeneralization, and I encourage, uh, especially when <laughs> You'll it's never pejorative. make it in this town, Bob. Well, if you're against overgeneralization. I, I mean, I'm sure I do it sometimes, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess I've I've kind of uh, said my thing. Um, the uh, and on on that. But you I can... mean, I, I was, you know, I was just before we signed on, there was some footage going around. I mean, obviously it's Twitter. Who knows? But this is there was a high school in San Francisco. These kids are running through the halls, yelling from the river to the sea, free Palestine. I mean, wearing it's like. I don't I cannot imagine what it's like to be a Jewish kid in that kind of situation now. I mean, I've been hearing for years stories about what it's like to be Jewish on a college campus. People take Islamic studies courses, which everybody should take. They're fascinating. Of course, you should take that. But the behavior of some professors to Jewish kids, all in the name of like punching up, it's pretty jaw dropping. And yeah. admittedly, I was not aware of the extent of it. OK, but I would say like. You know, again, social media has, I just think, just warped our view of the world because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of high schools in America. It is guaranteed that if in a single high school, you know, smartphones are pervasive. Everything gets captured on video. It is guaranteed that if in a single high school, any number of students runs through the hall saying from the river to the sea, you'll see it on Twitter. And you know what mm -hmm. that means that you saw it? It means that like about 12 students did that. OK, and and. And it I was just more than 12. It was okay, definitely right, more. I mean, but, but, but like it was one. It was thousands. one high school. OK, but OK, here's the other thing. You're right that it's. I mean, you want happening. me to read? You want me to read some things? You want me to read uh, something Sarah Silverman just said on Twitter, which I find abhorrent. I, I I thought. Oh no, go ahead. I I I liked what she said. What it, she just she took it down apparently. I was surprised that she spoke out. What did she say? Uh, I now she may have been quoting somebody else, but she was now maybe this is her, but she's doing it approvingly anyway. She embraced this. Uh. Many are saying that it's inhumane that Israel is cutting off water, electricity to Gaza. So, first of all, I mean, she's fine with that. Uh, it's it's pretty well, clearly it's Israel's pretty, not their pretty, only water uh, and electricity source, as far as I'm aware. Okay, but but, but okay. You, okay, but it's an important one, and and Gaza is chronically uh, in need of of these things. Clean water was a problem to begin with. Power was a problem to begin with. And you've got the defense minister of Israel saying, um, you know, 
we're going to cut this off. They're animals. Now, well, they're also saying we're going to cut it off unless you release the hostages. I mean, that's my understanding was yeah, but, that this was a negotiated. That's collective, that's okay. collective I, punishment. Okay. I what mean, is Sarah Silverman? Okay. Th well, these are war crimes. These are war crimes. Well, what else was a war crime? Okay. What did Sarah okay. Silverman say? Okay. But fine. She's, okay. Are war crimes fine on one side and not the other? I mean, I condemn them both. I don't think cutting off electricity is the same as water what, what uh, was done i'm not even going to repeat it i'm not come on that's not the same especially when it, this is not their sole source of electricity they do have some infrastructure anyway i thought it was sarah silverman did speak out um on behalf of israel which i was surprised to see um although my understanding is that she said she was stoned and she since deleted it so <laughs> i don't know um well, look i am not i i, I have um I am not an expert in this area. I don't want to get into this because it's too much because I'm speaking only based on what I have read and listened to the last two weeks. So, um, but okay. I just don't, I, the, the difference between you could, I, I understand that you could say these demonstrations are not happening in Texas and in Kansas. It's happening in New York and Boston, San Francisco. The, the thing is that the kids that are going to school in San Francisco and New York and Boston, then come in and they work at the New York Times and they work for media organizations and in the institutions and they are setting the cultural tone. And that's the difference. Look at what the New York Times was doing yesterday with these headlines about the hospital blast. I mean, astonishing. That well, was just an amazing, like, like psyop on the front page of the New York Times. Let me, um, before we you elaborate, let me let me say on the war crimes issue, like I'm not an expert. Um, people should look at the podcast uh, conversation I had with Sarah Leah Whitson, who, who used to be uh, head of the Middle East for Human Rights Watch. Uh, we talked about all this stuff. It is somewhat nuanced. Uh, and uh, but there are certainly prominent voices in the realm of international law who are saying like uh, the combination of this form of well, and uh, telling Palestinians to leave an area, they're saying that that uh, or they will risk dying is uh, is forced relocation. There are various. Uh, I, I, I'm I do not purport to be making any firm assertions about what is and isn't a violation of international law, but uh, people can uh, refer to resources, including that conversation. Um, yeah, on the headline, the headline I saw was uh, hundreds killed in Israelis uh, attack on hospital comma palestinians say or something i mean it was attributed which is what you do with a breaking news story okay but then there was like a series of stealth edits i mean my understanding the new york times seems to be getting its its information from like gaza sources i just i just don't like the gaza the gaza health uh whatever collective i can't remember the name of it i i just i just can't I don't know. I'm not in the newsroom of the New York Times. I don't know what's going on. I think, yeah. you know, nobody does. Fog of war. Okay. Right. I think that we should take a step back, but I don't know. I, I in no way, any, no one who knows me would say, oh, she's a, you know, she's some kind of the hawk for Israel at all. But uh, over the last two weeks, I just am absolutely shocked at the lack of shock and outrage from a lot of people. I mean, Hamas has stated clearly that they want to get rid of Jews. They want to get rid of Israel and they want to get rid of Jews. That is the agenda of so many of these organizations. I, so 
why are we pretending that somehow, oh, well, they're not, you know, it's not really, it's just one little, it's not fair that being represented by this group. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I can't vouch for the, whether they've officially said they want to get rid of Jews, you you hear that. Uh, I do think they've said they want to eliminate the Zionist state or whatever. I think it's part of their, um, you know, part of their stated Probably, uh, I don't know. Some, I don't, some I don't have it in front of have, me. Have probably some prominent members have said it or something. I don't deny that. Um, but uh, so yeah. Anyway, I, I guess my position is clear. I, I guard against overgeneralizing, and I, and I, uh, you know, I uh, I hate to see, uh, you know, frankly, the cause of the Palestinian setback, and it's really the cause of Israel. I mean, I, I think. One thing this this demonstrates, uh, including the reaction to the reported uh, hospital strike last night, um, is that you know it's in Israel's interest to solve this problem, the Palestinian problem. Well, for um, sure. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, there are there are those of us who think that uh, the quote pro-Israel voices uh, actually have a tendency to work against that objective. Um, that's another conversation. Well, I, yeah, but, I mean, this is, it's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I have a few things. This is another add. conversation. I'm I'm just uh, explaining why I, I, I hate uh, f- for everyone's vision of the whole thing to get uh, blurred by, first of all, the horrific attacks themselves. And secondly, uh, the reaction of some number of Americans who are either uh, ignorant or malicious or just lacking in judgment uh, or young or something, um, who, 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 don't, who don't represent nearly uh, all of the supporters of the Palestinian cause, I would say. Right. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, I, it's also true. Netanyahu, I mean, this is absolute stain on his legacy. I mean, his, his legacy is over. Um, it's not good for him this is you know he has the 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 right word march in israel is you know played a huge hand in this and i also think Mm -hmm. it's notable that hamas these attacks they were concentrated on you know these were like kibbutzim that were sort of these were peaceniks i mean these were people this was like a this particular area my understanding was that it was created as a sort of you know symbol of two-state solution the kids who were at the concert it was a concert for peace I mean, this was like a very, very peacenik part of the world. And the fact that they attacked uh, this group is just all the more, you know, I I wondered, I, you know, it's crossed my mind, like, well, what would have happened if like Haredes had been targeted, if they had targeted the ultra-Orthodox somehow? I wonder mm-hmm. what the um, sentiment would be. I mean, it just, this is so, um, it's so egregious. Uh, that it makes it hard to entertain the complexities. But I do think that um, yeah, and it's it, more than it, just... It doesn't you know. serve the interests of the Palestinian people. You mentioned Netanyahu. I mean, it may serve the political interests of Hamas because one thing it does is, at least for the time being, derail uh, the Saudi-Israeli normalization, which would have steered a lot of money toward... Uh, the Palestinian Authority, which is Hamas's big rival, so it serves it serves the interests of Hamas. Maybe uh, it may, it, but but it and and in general, I would say 
uh, Hamas has served the interests of Bibi. And in fact, he's apparently on record a few few years ago saying, you know, we need to, you know, we need to not let the Palestinian Authority get strong and let Hamas get get stronger. Something to that effect. He yeah, recognized no, I mean, there the, the political utility the of Hamas. I mean, his uh, his legacy is stained because this happened on his watch. I mean, it is astonishing that in a country with the defense, uh, like a country with the Iron Dome, with this kind of defense infrastructure that something like this could happen yeah it's um, pretty mind-blowing it is uh the um yeah, what was I, gonna, I, I was gonna yeah i mean but there is long i i said like 15 years ago i said to somebody you know whenever or maybe 12 like like the extremists in israel like Bibi, and the extremists on the palestinian side like hamas are playing a non-zero-sum game. They're good for each other. They keep each other in power. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and things like this don't serve the interests of the Palestinian people or the Israeli people. And I mean, I don't think Bibi serves the interests of the Israeli people or Hamas or the Palestinian people and so on. Um, but- uh, Yeah, no, I mean, on, that, on that we agree. On that we agree. So uh, this, I really didn't plan to spend this much time talking about this. And- we have it's we've been talking for if I'm looking at the clock accurately close to an hour and what we normally oh. do at this point is oh my gosh I know isn't it shocking how time <laughs> flies when you're having fun I, this is uh this is the the most I have to say about this subject so we you've wrung it out of me this it's, is in no way my area of expertise so yeah thank you for um so whatever you've revealed uh I. We can thank each other for whatever <laughs> mistakes we've each made in the course of this that will uh, that will ruin our careers. Um, the, uh, so at this point, uh, generally, uh, we're close to an hour. Um, we go into overtime. That's a part of the conversation that's available to paid subscribers of non-zero newsletter. I'm sure you sympathize with the with the idea of a paywall. You're no stranger to paywalls. No, I'm all about them. Um, and, uh, so it's, you've been kind enough to say, you'll stay and talk in a kind of overtime session. Um, uh, what should we say we'll talk about? Uh, well, I want to talk about the unspeakeasy and I would love to talk oh. about it, not just for the paywall people though, but if we're out of time, then. No, no, uh, I'll give you your unspeakeasy plug. In fact, I will, I will graciously, uh, having, having like coerced you into having a conversation that actually neither of us really wanted to have. Um, <laughs> That's what they should pay extra for. I will graciously yield. But first, I want to say one thing we can talk about in overtime is the super secret conference of global elites we were both at. Oh, I don't think we're allowed to talk about that, but well, I guess we, we can talk we, about it. In overtime. We can talk about it in very general and vague terms. Okay. And, and, okay. and, and uh, I think basically everything said at the conference was off the record. So we we shouldn't name names or anything. Even if you say who didn't say it, even if you just subtweet it, you could probably say somebody speak. said this, but uh, many people did. said. Yeah. Many people are saying. Many. Yeah. Some people are saying the uh, now that conference had a big anti anti woke vibe. I don't know if you picked up. Yeah, on more it. so was, than last time. Yes. I, I was the least anti woke person there, probably. But um, uh, and what else? Um, we were made. What did I mention? Well, there's the Ted thing. There's, oh, you had a guy uh, on your podcast talking about how sports has gotten too woke. Maybe we could talk about that. Oh, Ethan Strauss. Yeah. Yeah. I like sports. Um, 
And uh, is there something else? We've already uh, paid tribute to Mickey. So maybe we could like, you know, dish some dirt on him in the in in overtime. Oh, okay. As a okay. Um, and uh, anything else? Okay, so I guess we can uh, let you. Oh, I got to This you will appreciate. I just want to know if you were aware of all these letters before we move to your uh, your public service announcement. I got an email today that made me think of it. it says, dear so-and-so, it's from the university I attended. It's to alumni. It says, we hope you can attend the LGBTQIA plus. Wait, P, P, LG, LGB. LGB. Did I say B? That'd be new. What would that be? No, what was new to me was the IA. Now, you're on top of these things. But LGBTQIA+, plus. Mm -hmm. there's a plus symbol. You already knew about the IA? Oh, the IA is, um, I believe, um, is it intersex? Um, And then the A is asexual or ace. And then the plus is whatever from there. To be continued. Yeah. There there may be more. The coalition may grow. Okay. So, uh, once again, I was behind the times. All the cool people knew about that. You should so, go to that, though. Oh, I've I've definitely reserved a seat. Yeah. <laughs> the the um. So tell us about the unspeakeasy. I I really am fascinated uh, by this idea. I think I yeah. should start having retreats where retreats I are great. where I instead of you, I'm the subject of worship of worship. Yeah. No, I'm actually not the subject of worship. Um. So the way I got the idea for this was. I mean, I obviously have been writing about these issues for a long time. I had a book about it. I've been doing podcasts. I st- I teach writing classes, as I said, and they're not political at all. I just teach normal. It's usually it's usually memoir, essays, personal essays, nonfiction. It's usually women in my classes. Not always, but I get a lot of women. And I noticed something in the last couple of years. They were coming into the class and they didn't even really care about the writing. Like we would workshop their pages and they'd kind of be like, oh, I wrote that like five years ago. I just wanted to come to the class because I knew that this would be like a place where we could talk about things and I wouldn't be judged and like we could have an interesting conversation. And they started saying things like, I was kicked out of my book club because I said the wrong thing or I didn't, you know, somebody wanted to read Robin D'Angelo and I suggested we read something else. And then all of a sudden it was a pile up or this Facebook group imploded that I was in. And more and more, it was like they were not able to have normal conversations with their friends. Their friend groups were imploding. The, the, the pandemic had like really exacerbated this, although it was going on before then, too. Um, and I was hearing from men and women equally about this. Not equally, actually. A lot of women. Um, well, maybe I was hearing from the equally, but the stories from the women had a particular quality, which is that they were more likely when this happened to just stop talking because they didn't want to to get excluded from their peer group. The mm-hmm. social penalties were for speaking up were so much more um, upsetting to them than for a lot of men. And so I was noticing this happening. And I was also noticing that like in a lot of the listener communities for the, these different podcasts, like Persuasion and The Fifth Column, and I love all these things, they were very male oriented. The guys mm-hmm. would come onto the Zoom hangouts and be talking and all this. And the women, there would be like a few women and they weren't saying as much. And I thought, God, like we need to have a heterodox community for women because they were not talking. Like they were literally, our voices were not in the conversation with a few exceptions. Barry Weiss, obviously there are, you know, female 
podcasters, okay, that reminds writers in this me. space. That reminds yeah. me. I'll do my little Barry Weiss segment in the in the, okay. the uh, overtime. Thank okay. you. Go ahead. Um, even better. So I just women were were really missing from this kind of free speech ecosystem. Ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I did an experiment. I took a bunch of us out to the desert. Um, women representing different areas of interest. About nine of us. Um, it's about a year and a half ago, and we just like had a like a free speech vacation, a sanity spa. And we talked for three days on different things. And I had different segments and I facilitated the discussions. Um, and it was incredible. Um, and so I thought we need to just keep doing this. So we have these retreats. We go different places. It's women of all different ages. It's small groups. It's usually capped at 15 to 18. Mm-hmm. We have women in their 20s. We've had women in their 80s. We've had, you know, corporate lawyers, academics, small town librarians, stay at home moms. It totally runs the gamut. Um, And it's really just um, an incredible way of A, realizing that you're not crazy and B, learning actually how to have conversations so that, that you can go back out into the real world and know how to talk about these things. And it's it's been life changing. I I know I'm I know I'm like sounding very hyperbolic in this conversation, and and really here, it's not. I mean, it is. You come out of this feeling like, oh my gosh, there are people who want to have these conversations, and we talk about everything. I mean, and we've had. Some, I mean, like I sat there one time, and I just sat back because often I don't actually talk that much, and there were twelve different women having a conversation about abortion, and there were twelve different opinions. You know, all the way from I think abortion should be available on demand to I think abortion should never be allowed. People had personal experiences that they were sharing. They were able to be very personal and emotional, but also intellectually honest and rigorous. And we it happens again and again with all kinds of topics. And now we have an online community, which is totally private. People join. We have many forums of discussion. It goes on all day. And it's been incredible. Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah. they report like that uh, they feel a little more assertive when they go back to the real world is part of the idea. You're you're kind of getting them revved up to speak their mind in uh, back in the real world. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's it, the idea is not that we sit sit around and complain for four days. I mean, you know, that's, that's good. That, <laughs> any I, woman's would, vacation. I would pay for that if you yeah, ever that, do organize that more. retreat. Yeah. I would pay. Yeah, um, it's it's more like getting it's a reality check right because i think people get caught up in their in their in their bubbles i mean we have a lot of people who live in very liberal communities and they identify as very much on the left and it's not all on left we definitely have people we have conservatives we have liberals it's not a political organization at all and i think they really start to doubt themselves and they think well maybe i'm wrong about this uh and this is a way of actually figuring out the ways in maybe which they are wrong mm-hmm. and the ways in which they're right. And it's usually something in between. I mean, we had a woman, um, this is fascinating. We had a, at one of our retreats, we had a woman who had been in a mass shooting a, a couple of decades ago. She's seriously injured. She still has repercussions from this injury. And she nonetheless has very libertarian ideas about guns. And so she gave a presentation where she talked about this. She told this whole story. She told about you know, what it what that had been like um, and uh, what it was like now, just in terms of her injury. But she's also like 
proceeded to make a case, you know, pretty strong case for gun rights, which a lot of people disagreed with. Um, but it was nonetheless riveting. Mm-hmm. And we get that again and again. So where, uh, how do people sign up for this? How, how, like, how many of these do you have a year? You have well, I mean, I'm growing. So yeah, they can go to the unspeakeasy.com. So we, we have three, we, we, we tried, we did six retreats this past year. This is only a year, year or so old. But that's a lot. That's a, lot. a mean, lot. A physical yeah. gathering is like not nothing. Yeah. And they're small though. So, um, you know, you should go on, you know, we sort of, I try to like get a sense of, you know, who, who can talk, you know, it's, Mm-hmm. I'm careful about who comes. It's not like there's some huge gatekeeping mechanism, but you know, I need to I need to know who's there. Mm-hmm. It's all off the record. There's no social media. There's none of that. We have guest speakers. Katie Herzog came for to be a guest speaker once. We have incredible people. Um, so yeah, they should go to the unspeakeasy.com. We have uh, the retreats for next year that I've announced are in Austin, Louisville, Kentucky, and Los Angeles. And we're gonna have um, I'm gonna announce probably three more for later in the year. But cool. um yeah cool so you should bring ayahuasca just for the hell of it do that i know that would that would take up <laughs> we're going to get into a conversation about gun rights while taking ayahuasca yeah um yeah that sounds good i'm impressed i do want to take uh i do want you to be my life coach it's getting i better hurry but uh i'm gonna get a life coach, <laughs> only 20 but... year olds can be life coaches have you noticed that I all haven't... life coaches are like in their 20s i guess the irony of that has occurred to both of us hasn't it well, you would have to be in your twenties to think that you to think that knew you knew enough about yeah. life. I guess it's not so ironic. Um, so okay, so we're going to go into overtime. I want to say uh, one more thing that I, I don't think you'll object to or feel you need to reply to. My own view is that the longer the Israeli retaliation goes on, the more, the easier it's going to be to recruit the next round of terrorists, uh, because the more people in Gaza will say they have siblings who were killed by Israel and so on. I think that's the way it works. Yep. So that's, that's part of my motivation for not wanting, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, the, the speech from those who oppose massive retaliation to be, uh, discouraged, but that's just me. Um, so with all that said, uh, we're going to uh, go into overtime now. You can, uh, if you Google Substack and on zero, you can find a place to be a paid subscriber. There are also unpaid subscribers. Nothing wrong with that. You get parts of the newsletter. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, support, uh, I think unusual conversations like this, I don't think there's a lot of conversations exactly like the one we just had, uh, then you can um, become a paid subscriber. And needless to say, you should also, uh, give Megan all forms of payment for, for all that she uh, demands yeah. for, for all parts of her, um, her, my, enter, my, what did you call it? Industries. The, industrial the, Meg, complex. the Megan industrial complex. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, but your podcasts are uh, the unspeakable and a special place in hell. And yeah. And Ma- Megan Dom.substack.com. And that, where they can support yes. the, 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 whatever they can support me. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Or learn how to write whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we are heading into overtime.